Hello and welcome to Truth Legal's second podcast. Today I'm going to explore the differences between a solicitor and barrister, as well as interviewing a barrister who's sitting in front of me, Kevin McNerney. Good morning, Kevin. Morning, Andrew. Morning. Now then, Kevin, tell me about yourself. Um, where do you work and what do you do? Uh, I, I'm a barrister. I specialise in employment law and my chambers, because that's where barristers work. They, they work in buildings called chambers. My chambers are in Sheffield uh, and Manchester. Um, I've been at uh, St John's Buildings in Manchester and Sheffield now for nearly 10 years. And I specialise, I only do employment law work. Um, prior to that, I worked for nearly 14 years as uh, an in-house barrister for the Royal College of Nursing in Leeds. So after spending some time with them, I decided to move into private practice, carry over the skills and concentrate on employment law. Super. I live in Harrogate, but work in Manchester and Leeds and Sheffield and Newcastle. Super. And my understanding is a barrister is self-employed, is that correct? It is, yeah. We group together, uh, share admin resources, but ultimately we are a bunch of self-employed professional advocates. And is it a team environment at Chambers? can be. Um, there's Within Chambers, my Chambers have just over 250 barristers spread across four or five sites, Manchester, Chester, Liverpool and Sheffield. So about 250 barristers over the, the several sites. But within that, there are teams and one of the teams is the employment law team. There's about 22 of us and 22 of us just specialise in employment law. There are other teams, criminal, personal injury, professional regulation, so most chambers will break down into various teams. Super, thank you. And tell us about Kevin McNerney outside of the office. You have a family, what do you do with yourself? Uh, yeah, I've got family, um, married to Sandra, two daughters, uh, 20 and 15. Um, so challenging times, but uh, live in Harrogate and have done for nearly 17 years now. Super, and I see that you cycle everywhere you go, is that, is that right? <laughs> yeah, I've got a Brompton. Um, cycling's a bit of a passion with me, so I try and do that as much as possible. But latterly squash, after a 25-year gap. How are your knees? Good, yeah, gone, gone through the pain barrier. Well done. Well, now we need to explore what the differences are between solicitors and barristers. Um, first of all, just tell me, what's the best thing about your job and why do you do it? The best thing is advocacy, um, both written and courtroom. Could you explain what advocacy is? It's the attempt to persuade someone else of your client's case. So it's all about persuasion, trying to persuade other people who are either neutral or potentially hostile to your client's case, your client's view of what's happened to them. And that chance of trying to change people's minds is what I find the best bit of the job. And how does that advocacy skill assist you dealing with your home environment? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, managing people uh, back in the house can sometimes require advocacy skills of the highest standard. Yes, and I'm sure the tempers are never raised. (laughs) Okay, so when you represent clients, are you representing individuals who are bringing employment claims, or are you representing employers, or a bit of both? Uh, It's evenly split, actually, between uh, employers and employees or workers so it's a nice split I I work both sides of the street okay thank you I think some of our listeners might find that difficult 
to uh, comprehend that someone who acts for someone who's fired one day is acting for those that fire. Do you find there any ethical dilemmas? No, none at all. Yeah, from day one, you're always brought up with the idea that you are not to take a view of the merits of someone's case one way or t'other. What you're there to do is use your skills to give either the employee or the, the, the employer their chance of justice. You're their mouthpiece, you're their professional mouthpiece. So really, you're trying to win the case for either side and it just depends who's instructed you on that day. And that's a core, core thing about justice, isn't it? That people should have a chance of justice. And unless you have professional advocates prepared to work both sides of the street, one side might not get that chance. Is it fair to say, though, that perhaps employers are better resourced and therefore more likely to have advocates and better advocates? Some are, yeah. But if you're in a union, you should have the advantage of being able to hire just as good a barrister or solicitor or firm of solicitors as an employer. Uh, And that's why it's important for people either to be in a union or to have the right household insurance that so that if they have to they can pay for a barrister or a solicitor who's just as good as the employer can we explore that a little further so sure. when you're talking about household insurance i assume you're referring to the legal expenses element yeah how does the legal expenses element work when it comes to yeah using barristers well in, in essence um, someone's got a household insurance policy they've been dismissed they will see that their legal expenses insurance will pay for their insurer to hire a firm of solicitors or a barrister. So their client, their insured person, can then access legal advice of the highest quality. Sure, and I totally agree with you. Um, Obtaining legal expense insurance is one of the most useful things that people can do. So um, I know I'm the solicitor and you're the barrister, in your view, tell me, what do you think solicitors do and be nice about it? <laughs> no, so, well, first thing to say is solicitor and barrister is often a team event. It's often a team uh, thing to do. So it's, it's vital that both sides respect and see that they both bring something to the table. Um, that said, solicitors have to do what's called litigation, which is a vital part of the process. Litigation involves things like way before a barrister's involved, uh, a letter before claim, where the solicitor will have sat down with the client, assessed the case, got to grips with the facts of the case, and before even the whiff of a courtroom is smelled, the solicitor will set out in writing uh, why the claim will succeed and send that to the other side, so in my case, an an employer. Uh, And that's a vital part of the process, a good letter before claim can stop all sorts of hassle and all sorts of stresses. So litigation involves a letter before claim. If that doesn't work, then the solicitor has to do a lot of the heavy lifting. They have to set out in a witness statement. They have to set out in a pleading often, although barristers are often instructed to do the pleading. A solicitor will set out in a pleading that goes towards the court or goes to the court why someone has a case. And that's an important document. That's a vital piece of advocacy. It's written advocacy, but it's a vital part of advocacy, and often solicitors will do that. So that litigation process is often miles before a barrister is involved, and that's a very, very important part of the, the process of taking claims on and even winning them. Most claims don't reach the inside of a court. Most claims will be settled, uh, and 
that litigation process, if well executed by a solicitor, can mean the client is well served without even speaking to a barrister. So that's the first half of the game, the litigation process. That's what a solicitor does primarily. Um, the second half of the process, if that all comes to naught and a trial is needed, a courtroom is needed, a courtroom date is needed, then that's generally, not exclusively, but that's generally when a barrister will become involved because their expertise lies in turning up at court day in and day out and doing the oral advocacy. So if you like, the solicitor is a very important part of the process before the courtroom, but after the courtroom comes into view, that's when the barrister is probably uh, the ideal person to take your case forward. Although, it has to be said, quite rightly, many, many solicitors are just as good as, as barristers in courtroom advocacy, if they do it a lot. So there's no Berlin Wall anymore in employment tribunal between a barrister and a solicitor. It's all about who's got the most experience in a courtroom. And generally that will be barristers, but not exclusively. Sure. But when a barrister comes to a case sort of later in the day, do you think they bring a different sort of perspective to that case? Can do. Often two brains are better than one, and that goes the other way. Um, I've given advice on cases and solicitors have pushed back and challenged me on certain points of view. So I'm a great believer in second opinions, and often that can be a barrister. And tell me, how are barristers paid? Uh, they're paid via the solicitor, generally. That's the classic relationship. A solicitor will instruct a barrister on behalf of the solicitor's lay client, the individual or the company or who, whoever. So the solicitor will instruct and be liable for the fee of the barrister. That's the classic and overwhelming relationship or, or working relationship. There is an alternative uh, in certain circumstances where an individual can instruct a, uh, sorry, a barrister on a direct basis, what's called direct public access. And most cases at an employment tribunal will fall into that situation. Not all of them, because there are some cases that are so complicated that you still need a solicitor to assist the barrister and the client. But more and more people can instruct barristers on a direct access basis. And the barrister will make an assessment whether that is suitable for the client uh, in not having a solicitor to assist as well. So for anybody listening who wants to instruct you in their employment tribunal case, um, do they contact you by email or how do they go about the process? Well, just ring up St John's Building's chambers and speak to the clerks who deal with direct access because they'll make, be part of the process of making an assessment as to whether that client's case can be dealt with on a direct access basis without the need of a solicitor. And the website for anyone listening is stjohnsbuildings.co.uk. Yeah, all one word in essence. Yeah. Super, thank you. So well, that's, that's the email, but if you just Google St. John's Buildings, Manchester or Sheffield, you'll get the, the hit. Sure. Do you think solicitors and barristers have different personality traits? And again, be nice. <laughs> uh, no, I think uh, it's too general. I mean, there are some extrovert solicitors, as you would imagine, some barristers are extrovert, but equally there are some some the opposite way. So I don't think one side of the profession breeds a particular sort of individual. Sure, but do more 
barristers become judges, say, than solicitors? And if so, why? Uh, yeah, historically, most of the judges' panel, the judiciary, is being drawn from from barristers, but that's changing. And I think it's right to say that Lady Hale, who's now head of the Supreme Court, was pretty much an academic for most of her career. I think that's right. Uh, practiced very, very little, if at all, at the bar, the independent bar, in terms of turning up at court day in and day out. I'm pretty certain that's not the case. So, you know, the, the person at the very top of the judicial hierarchy was not what you'd say a traditional practicing barrister. So I think increasingly the judiciary draws from both sets uh, or both sides of the profession. What's the worst part of being a barrister? Sure, there's, there's many downsides, <laughs> surely. Go on, give us, t- tell us the truth. I, I sense there's a lot to be told here. Uh, the worst, one of the bad things is waiting years to be paid, uh, which can be a real pain. You literally can be not paid for a case for five or six years. So that can be uh, irritating. Another, another downside is cases can settle, or as we say, crack, very, very shortly before the hearing when you've done all the work. So on the one side, it's great for a client who gets a settlement they want. They don't have the stress of going through court, which is terribly stressful. You know, I think lawyers can become case-hardened because it's their day-in and day-out job. They can sometimes underestimate the stress of going into court for the first time in your life in a strange environment and giving evidence, that must be very stressful, I I can imagine. So although a settlement can be good for the client, you do feel sometimes you've wasted all this effort uh, for a case that doesn't proceed. But that's a very minor point. Uh, The most important thing is the client gets what they want. And tell me about regulation as well. Are barristers and solicitors regulated the same? I mean, I, I kind of know the answer, but... Uh, oh, oh, I say overall, the structure, the architecture is the same. We have the uh, Bar Standards Board and uh, our own professional body, the Bar Council, and then the Legal Services Ombudsman. So, like solicitors, it's a heavily regulated environment, but quite rightly so, because people are paying for a service and, and they have every right to expect a good service so there are those people to catch catch people up if their service is not being provided to a reasonable standard sure and, and for any sort of budding lawyers listening out there um, do you have any tips for those that wanting to go into uh, profession by the barristers or sisters um, yeah try and find an area of law that you are interested in uh, possibly passionate is too strong a word but an area of law that you're interested in and secondly don't wait for the academics to be got through before you start to get to grips with it. I I teach for the Open University part-time, I've done for nearly 20 years and every year I tell people who come on our courses wanting to be lawyers try volunteering, go to your local Citizens Advice Bureau even though you're just in the foothills of your academic training, go to your local systems advice bureau, go to your local law centre, volunteer and particularly with employment law you can be doing cases within six months. You could be appearing in the employment appeal tribunal within a year of starting to volunteer Um, and that's all while you're training to be a lawyer so don't wait for this cliff edge of four or five years time when you're qualified and the vice chancellor shakes your hand and you're now a qualified lawyer. Get into it now volunteer and help people 
by doing cases, and that's particularly relevant for, for people who are interested in employment law. Citizens Advice Bureaus are desperate for volunteers to help them with that sort of work, and you, as a, a budding lawyer and a, a newbie student, could be doing cases quite quickly. All sound advice. I agree with you entirely, Kevin. And finally, um, could you give us some tips for people using lawyers who are going through the employment tribunal process? Uh, yeah, if, if I had an employment tribunal, sorry, if I had an employment law problem, I would make sure that I was instructing someone who is a specialist in employment law. You're going to save yourself a lot of time by someone who already knows the ropes around employment law. So look up on their bio whether they specialise in employment law and really concentrate on those people rather than someone who does it a bit or has a mixed practice. Just have a look at how much employment law they do. Super. Thank you very much, Kevin. Is there anything else you wish to uh, tell our audience about before we move on? Uh, No, I don't think so. Super. Well, thank you very much for um, doing our second uh, podcast with me. In fact, you're the first person I've had the pleasure of interviewing and I hope there'll be many more. Thank you, Kevin. You're welcome. Thank you, Andrew.